Good morning, Restoration. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, let's pray and then we'll dive into our message. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to come and, and, and to sit in your presence, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us right now, uh, that we might be formed more into your likeness. And it's in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen. Amen. So friends, we are in a preaching series right now called We Are the Church. And this is a series and where we're looking at a passage that's very dear to restoration and very dear to all the churches in, in our Anglican diocese of the upper Midwest. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and we're gleaning from that some values and habits of the early church. And we want to, to talk about them and celebrate them and receive those as a part of our rich uh, heritage uh, that we have access to. So last week, we looked at the church being fully sacramental. The, the early church was a community that just immersed themselves in the stories of Jesus, in the scriptures. And this week, we're looking at the church being fully sacramental. That the church, even the early church, already they were following the instructions of Jesus to gather together regularly for the breaking of bread. And also the Lord was growing day by day their numbers, which no doubt would have included lots of baptisms. So this was a movement that was a sacramental movement. But before we continue, I should probably clarify, like, what do I mean by sacramental? What does that even mean? Well, when I say that we are a sacramental church, I mean more than just us uh, liking baptism and, and we like to have communion a lot. You know, I, I mean much more than that. Broadly speaking, when I say that we are a fully sacramental movement, what I mean is that we affirm the fact that matter matters. That God uses the physical things of this world, that he uses actual stuff to demonstrate and to reveal and to make known his love. In fact, the word sacrament simply means mystery. And more fully, like biblically speaking, it's a mystery that's revealed. Uh, oftentimes you might hear theologians say that a sacrament is an outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace. So in other words, by the sacraments, Grace can be touched. You can put your hand in the waters of forgiveness. And you can taste with your tongue the reconciliation of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist says. Now you might be thinking that there is a, a very obvious irony in today's message. Because here I am preaching on the fact that matter matters. I'm talking about uh, embodied participation in the life of Christ and the life of church. But I'm doing so via YouTube. I'm doing so on the internet. And that's a bit problematic, right? Well, I'm still going to preach on what it means to be a fully sacramental church. But I'm going to do so by acknowledging the brokenness of this moment that we're in. I wish that I was not preaching to a camera right now. Like, I wish that I was in a room... With, with all of you right now. And I lament that we cannot be together. And I pray for the Lord to remove this plague. And I will leap upon every opportunity that we have to be reunited together at the table, to have that sacred participation with one another. So even though I'm not preaching to you face to face right now, that doesn't discredit the sacramental worldview. In fact, I would say that, that this even reveals within us that hunger for the sacramental life. We know that things aren't totally right right now. And we know that, that things need to improve, that we need to be together again, um, celebrating together our sacramental heritage. Okay, so we're going to be looking, we're going to be spending more time in Luke's gospel today, Luke chapter 2, or not 2, 22, uh, starting in, in verse 3. 
And what I want us to see here in this passage are the sacramental initiatives of Jesus, the things that he is doing that are sacramental. And in this story, I think there's actually two stories that I'm going to pull out here. So one is a story of Judas, a story of abandonment, a story of satanic um, uh, division. But this is also a story of Jesus, a story of his invitation. And it's a story of his sacramental unity, his bringing together things again. So let's, we're going to talk about Judas, and then we're going to talk about Jesus so in this story that we see from Luke chapter 22 is we see here that, that Luke tells us immediately that with Judas, Satan enters into him. And then it's at that point that, that Judas then plots with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And before we go further, I just, I, I need to say something that you've heard me say many times before, but this is what the devil does. Devil and divide. They come from the same word. The devil loves to divide. And that's what we see uh, happening here. The devil comes and enters into Judas and he starts engaging in all of this divisive activity. Uh, so he goes to the religious leaders to betray Jesus. He goes and he receives money from them. And then he goes back to the disciples and he has that last meal, that famous uh, sacred moment there. He, he has that last meal together with, uh, with the 12 and with Jesus. But then Jesus calls out Judas and he says, I know the things that you're about to do. And Judas flees. So again, look at the layers of division that is happening here. It's all over the place. So like I said, the devil divides. Um, and we see this in many ways. We see that the, the devil within Judas himself sort of creates this division. We see that Judas himself, he, he goes from being someone who was within the inner circle of Jesus. He was a part of the 12. He was in that friendship with them. He was in that community. But then he goes and he becomes um, partners with the enemy of Jesus. He goes from being an entrusted treasurer, like that's a pretty honored position to have, right? And he goes from that to now being someone who gets paid off just for a few shekels of silver. Like, can you imagine the inner turmoil that would be bubbling around within Judas those days? Like so many conflicting narratives of, of who he is and, and how he's been spending his time and what his goals are, like all of that stuff just, just at division within himself. So, you know, it's no wonder at all that Judas, his life eventually ends in self-destruction. He is a divided individual. But secondly, he's divided with the others as well. He divides himself from the community. He divides himself from the band of the apostles. And for the rest of the lives of the apostles, you have to, you have to think that they would always be wondering, like, what happened there? Why did Judas do that? And for them, it's, it's a personal wound too, right? Like they would be thinking to themselves, like he was with us for so many years. And then what is it that happened? You know, there was, you can even sense that in the readings of the New Testament, right? Like whenever Judas is mentioned, is, it's pointed out specifically, like he's the one who betrayed Jesus. He's the one who left us, who, who let us down. He's the one who has divided himself from us. So thirdly, the devil divides Judas from Jesus himself. From Jesus himself, Judas is divided. He's divided from the teachings of Jesus. He's divided from, from being able to witness those beautiful, amazing miracles that would happen all the time. And he was divided from the friendship of and intimacy of Jesus himself. Jesus or Judas chooses to walk away from all of that. Now, Judas deserves all of those descriptions. You know, don't get me wrong here. But I also want to say that Judas was a pawn of the devil in this moment. 
You know, the text tells us, Luke tells us there that, that the devil, ent- Satan entered into Judas. And like I said, the devil's agenda is to divide, 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 and divide. You know, I was thinking about just a chef who's quickly chopping up a cucumber, right? Like in a matter of seconds, you have a million pieces. And that's exactly what happens to Judas. In a matter of just seconds, you see all of these relationships start to unravel and be divided. The devil is splicing and dicing every bit of Judas here in this moment. He's divided internally from the community and from Jesus himself. So what in the world does the sacramental life have to do with this? What does the devil's division have to do with the sacraments of the church, with the sacramental life that the early church hands to us? Well, don't forget, friends, that the entire premise of the sacramental life is that even though the devil is in the world seeking to turn all of us into betrayers and rebels, um, in the midst of all of that, God, in his abundant grace and mercy, makes himself known. The mysteries of God are revealed in spite of all of the sin and darkness that's within ourselves and around in the world. The mysteries of his love are laid out on a table before us, and God is reconciling the world to himself. So where do we see this most clearly? Where do we see God most at work? Well, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul tells us, in Christ God is reconciling the world to himself. So there's two things specifically that I want to say about that. Like one is Jesus, he is the the true sacrament. He is like the ultimate sacrament, right? Like Jesus is the sacrament of the Father. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God clothed in flesh. In other words, the mysteries of the Father are made known in the God-man, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says this to us in John chapter 4. He says, if you know, or 14, if you know me, you know the Father also. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You see, friends, we are a sacramental people because God is the, is the sacramenting God. And I may have made that word up. God is the sacramenting God. He is the incarnational God. And so therefore, we are a sacramental people because in Jesus, God comes down to heal our divided world. But there's more. The second part is this. The church is the sacrament of Jesus. The church is the sacrament of Jesus. That's exactly what we see happening here also. That's the other story that we see in Luke chapter 22. So here in this chapter, in the upper room, we see Jesus is using the things of this world to to extend his ministry, right? Like Jesus is extending the sacramental, his sacramental ministry to the apostles, to the church. And Jesus is saying, I want you now to participate in revealing the mysteries of God. And then he tells them how. He picks up normal things of this world and he infuses in them his own presence. He says, this bread is my body, which is given for you. This cup is my blood, which is poured out for you. Now do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Now when Jesus tells them to remember he means more than just cognitively bringing something to the front of your attention again. That's, that's not what uh, the ancient Jews meant by remember. No, in a Jewish sense, the Jewish sense of remembrance is participatory reenactment of a story. 
There's a sacredness to this, and to this sacred reenactment. That's why later when we read uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is that not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is that not a participation in the body of Christ? You see, friends, there is a sacramental, mysterious union that's happening in that moment as we go through this sacred participatory reenactment, this remembrance. There is spiritual power that is happening in those moments. In fact, Jesus, he is authorizing his apostles, that is the church, in this moment to carry out his mission. And we see this in other instances of the scriptures as well, right? Like this is why Jesus breathes into the 12, giving them his authority for the forgiveness of sins. That's a sacramental moment. Also, if we look at at John chapter 6, right? Remember the feeding of the 5,000 there and, and how afterwards there was 12 baskets of bread left over? That's as if Jesus is saying to us uh, in that moment, like, this is the 12, this is the church, and I want you to be full of my bread, full of my presence for the distribution around the world, right? Like, that is a sacramental moment. Jesus is calling us into the work of making God known. Just as Jesus is the sacrament of the Father, so we, the church, are the sacrament of Jesus. And he gives the church the signs by which to make him known. Water, bread, and wine. So Jesus Christ, God among us, is uniting and healing our divided world. And my goodness, we need that now more than ever, don't we? Like, look around the world right now. The devil is having an absolute heyday in dividing our world. You know, I was thinking the other day of, of the first sermon that I preached uh, during this pandemic, and I, and I talked about these temptations um, that, that we're going to see. And the, and the last one, the most important one that I talked about, was the temptation of division. You know, as we're being physically separated from one another, I, I speculated merely, like, this is going to be a temptation for us. We're not going to be able to see each other as often. All of our communication is going to be mediated through screens and technology, and, and there's going to be a high risk of division. And my goodness, that, that sermon was preached March 25th, like four months ago. Has there been any division in our world since then? Like, oh my goodness, right? Like the news these days has just been so overwhelming with all of the division that's happening. And I hear this and I sense this like even in myself, right? Like I feel when I, when I hear about what's going on in the world, there's just so much more anxiety and frustration and anger that's, that's bubbling up within me, right? And I, and I also hear that in some of your voices as well. Like this divisive, divisiveness is just running amok right now. Like it is all over the place. And I think that's one of the reasons why the outdoor service that we had two weeks ago was so incredibly healing and powerful and beautiful. Like, weren't we all so hungry in that moment? You know, and like in that moment, especially at communion, during Holy Communion, during the Eucharist, there was like something that just opened up there on that, in that park. Like people were coming up and, and receiving the body of Christ with tears in their eyes. Like I could tell Jesus was doing a work in many of your hearts that day. And I would look out across the, the field of people, like, and it was less than ideal, right? Like masked and, and socially distanced and all of that. But even still, even in, in, in light of the division that was happening like there, the physical separation, like Jesus was at work. He was moving all among us, left and right. 
And afterwards, after the service, some of you came up immediately and told me, and some of you messaged me afterwards, and, and you were saying things like, I didn't realize how badly I needed that. You know, it was so good to be able to have communion together again. When can we do that again? And even in delivering reserved sacrament to people's homes and, and bringing, bringing the experience of that outdoor worship service into people's homes and, and collecting them into that experience, a lot of the same stuff was happening there too. It was just so beautiful and such a reminder to me, like we need to be doing as much as we possibly can to make sure that we can do that again soon and quickly. Now, I'm not saying that, that every time someone comes up for communion, you're, you're going to have an emotional response or something. Like, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But in this moment, to me, it was just a, a clear reminder that Jesus is at work, feeding his, his people with his very presence. Because, friends, there is, an, there is a very real spiritual battle that is taking place here in Minneapolis right now. And you know that. But we need to be a people who recognize the fact that we worship the God who makes himself known in real, physical, material sort of ways. And he is not afraid to, to get into the, the messiness of anything that we're dealing with right now. In fact, look again to Jesus. Like, he is the, the God-made man who gets himself dirty. He walks among the poor and the oppressed. He hears their stories. He kneels down and, and, and heals them. He loves the people who's around them. He loves the poor and the oppressed. And even in today's story, like today's story is just such a, a crazy moment of, of charity in Jesus because Jesus shared his bread with Judas knowing what was about to happen. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, how wild is it that Jesus, in his abundant love, even in that moment when he was instituting something as sacred as Holy Communion, allowed Judas to stay at, at the table? And we see this throughout the Gospels where Jesus is constantly making friends with sinners, even sinners like us. He befriends us. And he leads you and me to the waters of baptism where the stain of sin gets washed away. And there at the table, he feeds us with his very presence where we experience grace upon grace, where he is nourishing and sustaining us for the journey. So friends, may we, the church of Jesus, may we together proclaim gently, but with boldness and firmness, may we proclaim that God is in the midst of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.